All right. Ready, Freddie? Yeah. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Better Than the Movie. I am Jeanette. She is Tamika, and we are here talking books. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm fine. Blessed and highly favored. Hey, man. No. You know what? Let me just save it for our discussion because I'm really not feeling blessed. <laughs> I'm feeling away about the uh, state of our country and the people's response to things. We'll we'll get into it. Oh my god. So people y'all we I'm gonna get okay, I'm up, I'm ready. Um you can find us on the internet at betterthanthemovie.com. You can find us on Twitter at better than TM. You can also call uh, call us call us on Facebook. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash better than the movie. You know you can call people on Facebook. Yeah, I find that very disturbing. Nonsense. <laughs> Total nonsense. And if you'd like, you can leave us a message on our Google Voice number at 210-816-2886. Now, before we get into our news you can use, I would like to talk about, um, or no, give a thank you to everyone who participated in our podcast preference survey. Um, would you give me a minute to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, go ahead. Alright, so um, the point of that survey was, I think we did one last year, um, and this one we just kind of wanted to get an idea of people's uh, podcast preferences, their, the things that irritate people about podcasts, um, and just get some more information, all for the purpose of improving what we do here. Um, and so we were discussing, you know, should we do more ads, what are the things that people don't like, who, you know, and we were able to get some really, really, really good information, some of y'all's comments were pretty funny, because I was like, yes, I know, um, and, you know, we took them to heart, no, we didn't, we we're going to keep doing what we're doing, but we did, you know, learn some things about people's preferences from there, and so we'll try to incorporate some of that into the podcast, but thank you and congratulations to the winner of the $50 Amazon gift card. I know her name, but I don't know if she wants me to say it, so if you're listening, congratulations. Congratulations, secret winner person. <laughs> you are $50 heavier in the pockets. Yes, make it rain on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So news. Um, not much this week, so We'll That's probably shoot through this real quickly. Um, but the first thing is something that's super exciting. Claudia Rankin um, is has been inducted into the MacArthur Genius Grant Recipients Pool. Um, she is one of the members of the class of 2016 MacArthur Fellows, which is super exciting because she's so great and we love her here. I know. I was excited to see that. I didn't recognize, I'm not going to lie, I don't think I recognize anybody else on that list. I know I don't. Compared to um, previous years. To previous years where it was just like, yep, know him, familiar with her. It was, that was interesting. I almost like, like, oh, it's MacArthur Genius Grant time. <laughs> but I didn't recognize very many people except for her. Um, she's done some wonderful work. If you have not read... Um, 
Citizen. Hell, Citizen. <laughs> <laughs> if you have not read Citizen, please. I started to say Sister Citizen. I was like, that's not right. Nope. Um, if you haven't read Citizen, go pick that up. We have discussed it at least twice on <laughs> this podcast. So um, give it a go and get into some of her other work as well. Congratulations. So next, um, so this essay, it's a it's an essay about KAC Lehman, which is effectively a I don't want to say rebuttal, but like a response to uh Colin Kaepernick's protests and how they've been received. Mm-hmm. Um it's called What I Pledge Allegiance to, and it's basically talking about uh him as an American, as a black American, as a black Mississippian, and how he views the flag um, through all of these different lenses. Mm -hmm. Um, Really good read. I don't have much to say beyond go and read it and be amazed. I don't really want to get into the granular specifics of it because this is not a politics podcast. Um, This is a book podcast, but I do think that this is a piece of writing that people should definitely read and get into. Um, yes. Um, he had some really good, a really good essay in the, um, book we covered last time. (laughs) What is wrong with me? (laughs) That one book, the red one. Um, I didn't read this. Tell me. What did he think? What what did I just say? Were you not listening to me? No, I mean, you said you weren't going to go into the granular, but you know I like granular. <laughs> what did he say? Well, take your time and go read it. Because he essentially talked about what the flag means to white Americans versus what it means to black Americans. And then he talked about, because he had lived in like New York, like upstate New York and near New York City okay. um, for quite some time. Um, he was he's originally from Mississippi. So mm-hmm. he lived in New York around the time of 9/11. He just talked about, you know, how crazy it is that there are well, there were essentially two Americas before that. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden once we come together after this grave tragedy, you know, all of a sudden now we are united front against the Muslims. <laughs> um, and he tells a story. All right, he tells the story of being on a train shortly after 9/11 happened and there was um, a brown family on the train. And he says a young black guy says something about like the people are gonna blow the train up if they reach into a bag or something like that. And like a white man across the way is like, yeah, I know, right? But America, we got this, you know, essentially like they're bonding over that shit. Mm. And it's like, you know, six days ago, had you and I been, had those two people been on the same train and 9-11 hadn't happened, there would have been no conversation, no common bond, whatever. Um, and then he goes into how he's moved back to Mississippi since he's going to be teaching at, I think, uh, the University of Mississippi in Oxford. And he says uh, there's a there was a in the house that he's assigned to live in. There's an American flag hanging outside of it. And it's like super tattered, um, worn and colors are faded and everything like that. And he's sort of um, he was at a crossroads initially as to whether or not he wanted to let it stay up. Or if he wants to take it down and just leave nothing there, or if he wants to replace it, whatever. And so near the end of the essay, he says, um, sorry, part. Okay, he said, every day that I live here, I will choose to fly the American flag out there now or the alternative Senate state flag. Some days I will choose to fly a red, black, and green freedom flag. Other days I will choose to fly no flag at all. 
No matter what flag I choose to fly outside or inside of my house, many white Americans and white Mississippians will insist that their black folks, Mexicans and Muslims, remain passive, patriotic, and grateful for the limited choices we've been given. I'm a black Mississippian. I'm a black American. I pledge to never be passive, patriotic, or grateful in the face of American abuse. I pledge to always thoughtfully bite the self-righteous American hand that thinks it's feeding us. I pledge to perpetually reckon with the possibility that there will never be any liberty, peace, justice for all unless we accept that America, like Mississippi, is not clean, nor is it great, nor is it innocent. I pledge allegiance to the Mississippi freedom fighters who made all of my pledges possible. I pledge allegiance to the baby Mississippi liberation fighters coming next. This is a pledge of allegiance to my United States of America, to Mississippi, raggedy or not. This is a pledge to my home. Are y'all standing up? Because he talks about how he's never stood for the national anthem, pledge of allegiance. He actually was recommended when he was in like elementary school. Mm -hmm. It's a lot going on here. Did you ever, I mean, is this a thing? Let's talk, I mean, I know we're not political, but I do think it's important in the context of all of the other things that we talk about. I mean, what is, did you ever, like, would you, were you like, was your world rocked by Colin Kaepernick not standing up for the flag? No. no. I mean, I, I felt like I knew this already. Like, I felt like this was a thing. That people have done it since the beginning of time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you have veterans who talk about how they went off and fought in the world wars and then came back here and were treated like trash. And while they did, you know, respect their country or whatever, and they did fight for whatever freedoms we do have in place that they can't, you know, in good conscience, salute this flag because of how they were treated. So, I mean, I've just known so many black people that be like, I'm going to go to the bathroom or yeah. they talk through the pledge or yeah. they, I know a ton of older black people that don't stand up and um, I served in the military. I don't, uh-uh, nope. So I'll stand up sometimes just for, you know, to keep, because I live, because of where I live, it, honestly, I'm not being funny, like, it's a safety issue for mm -hmm. me. Like, it's easier for me to just stand up, but I don't ever say it. I don't usually put my hand over my heart. I don't even know. Maybe I might put a hand, a hand. It may not be the right hand. Like, I don't care. And so, but it just cracked me up that this had, like, shook up America. I'm like, y'all ain't never been. I guess they don't really interact with us in that way. They don't. <laughs> or pay attention. I shouldn't say interact, but pay attention to, to us in that way. But I'm like, this has been such a part of my upbringing for so long that I know so many black people that be like, eh, <laughs> that they just don't care. It just kind of tickled me to death that it took Colin Kaepernick, of all people, to, like, right. shake up the world. But, you know, get it how we can. I will go back and do the reading. Thank you for letting me cheat off your paper. <laughs> <laughs> and that seems like a really good um, thing. He looks like he said he has a new project coming out called Heavy. Yeah. I did read that. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do some digging about, about that one. This next one you've got here, friend. Yeah. So Gets to I, write what? I thought this was a perfect... Um, last news piece to sort of lead us into the conversation of the day. Okay. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about this whole cultural appropriation thing and, you know, who has the right to write what kinds of characters. And recently um, <laughs> this uh, novelist, Lionel Shriver, mm -hmm. she uh, was speaking at a writing festival in Australia and <laughs> she was wearing a sombrero 
Uh, she's a white woman. I just preface this by saying that. So she was wearing a sombrero. No need. And she spoke out against cultural appropriation, saying that mm-hmm. it censored her work as a writer. She would not have full reign to imagine others' perspectives and widen her world characters because people are always saying that it's cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. So then Caitlin Greenidge in turn wrote this great essay about who gets to write what. Um, and it begins with her uh, talking about when she was in grad school, a Chinese American classmate of hers wrote a lynching scene. And in class, the professor asked whether or not um, it was appropriate for this Chinese American man to write about lynching, even though he was not black. Mm-hmm. So it was argument amongst the classmates, um, you know, whether or not he had the right to write the scene, whether he culturally appropriated, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And so actually works through that whole process. Mm-hmm. She's just talking about in general, like what it takes for a writer to be able to write outside of the culture in which they were born and raised and grew up in and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but she really gets down to brass text at the end when she says, um, imagine the better, stronger fiction that could be produced if writers took this challenge to stretch and grow one's imagination. So for the same depth of humanity and interest and nuance, the characters who look like them as characters who don't. To take those stories seriously and actually think about power when writing, how, fur- how much further fiction could go as an art. It's the difference between a child playing dress up in a costume for the afternoon and someone putting on a set of clothes and going to work. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. What did you think about? <laughs> Tell me. So I'm sixes and sevens about this whole cultural pro- appropriation shit. Okay. <laughs> um. Uh, We've talked in the past about how I feel about people who are not of cultures writing about cultures that are different from them. And when you write caricatures and stereotypes, then I don't think that you are taking the responsibility that you have as a writer seriously. Um, And I just think that you're taking advantage of the... I don't want to say the push for diversity, but the, the... it is like a, a yearning from people in the online book of spear. Cause let me be so clear when I say this online um, who are so concerned with diversity and ensuring that diverse works are uh, in circulation, but not necessarily that diverse works are being written by diverse people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so if you, I, if you, I just, I whatever, I don't care. People will call me a bigot or whatever, but you, you do the knowledge. Like, I feel like if you are going to try to take that on, don't do it half-ass. Yeah, yeah, do the work. I just don't. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I just don't fucking like it. Like I don't care about how good you are at it. I don't. I don't care. It's not yours to tell. It's not your story to tell. 
and your creative license means dick to me. Like I don't, like I don't care. I just don't. And that's the God's honest truth. Just say more than somebody in the LGBTQ community, QAI community, does not want to hear my straight ass tell a lesbian love story, a lesbian coming of age story. Like who gives a damn about my perspective? I don't have a perspective because I'm not a lesbian. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like, as I may be able to write that story just down. It might be some of the best writing. <laughs> Y'all have ever read, but at the heart of, at the end of the day, the people in that community don't want to hear from my ass. <laughs> like that's just it. Like, and I would never even be so, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling frisky today. Let me tackle some shit I am not a part of. And just why? I just that's. What, I guess my bigger question is why. Why do you want to write about it? Like, Why is it is it? Need? It's your own ego. It's your own ego stroke to say that you can do it. It's like this. Uh, it's a sense of accomplishment. Not that there are not. See, I would feel maybe a different way if like absolutely nobody was writing, for instance, stories about slavery. I would feel if there was just some sort of like hole in the literature world. That was that needed to be filled with slave stories, and just no black people were out there writing them. And some white person came along and said, "You know what? I'm gonna do it, and I feel like I can do a good job." Then maybe, but it's not like there are not other people to tell that story, and who understand it and can write. It's just like when people talk about their racist grandmas. So everybody white listening to this, if you have a racist grandma, aunt, uncle, cousin father, mother. <laughs> Think about that person. Now, I can write that person because I've experienced that person. I have probably worked for that person, <laughs> been in that person's class, had that person sit behind me in the public. I can probably write that person, but I can't write that person fully. I can't write the things about them that you know. Um, how great of a cook your grandmother is, how compassionate it is how even though she's a bit racist she'd still give me the shirt off her back um, how good she is with animals I don't know but I can't write that fully because I don't know that I don't live that all I can write is a caricature all I can write is one-sided so you'll never be able to tell me that some 50 year old white man can write what it feels like to be a black woman on a day-to-day -day basis you might be able to pull it off on the page to somebody <laughs> but I just I don't like it. Like, I don't like it. I think that's why some stories who that have been written um, don't feel right. I don't care how good it is. It just doesn't feel right. It's not authentic. Yep. It's like if I, me and you communicate via the uh, telephone, group message, and text, and whatever, you would know one day if it wasn't me. Oh, absolutely. Like for a full day, if I just came into our group message and somebody came into me and I gave the phone to my cousin and just let her go with the flow, you would know probably within five, ten minutes that it wasn't me. Easily. That's how I feel when I read that shit. Like I can just tell. And they can take it. People can take it as a personal challenge to, to, to make it so that I can't tell, but I can just tell. Okay. So I'm just like, why? Why? Tell me why. why. Why is it this burning desire for you to write this? Yes, there are so many white people stories. So it many goes the other way for me too. <laughs> it goes oh, yeah. the other way for me too, because 
I don't understand <laughs> black people who run to white <laughs> run to write white stories. Yep. <laughs> um, because if you get, I don't know. I just feel like I was telling somebody this earlier. I said that um, my purpose on this earth is to do three things: is to support, to amplify, and to create. Support the art that I want to see in the world. Amplify the art of others that you know that probably don't get as much shine or publicity, and create the art of the people who look like me. Like there's mm -hmm. always this, there's always, you know, the, oh, we just have X amount of stories um, that we are allotted through mainstream media and mainstream publishing. So we should be working to ensure that these stories are not X, Y, and Z. But the fact of the matter is the people with the money control the narrative. Mm. So what? despite you saying that you don't want to see another slave film, you can't change that. You don't have, you literally don't have the power to change that, which is a perfect segue into um, <laughs> the main topic for today. Okay. And I, f I really feel like. <sighs> trolling, trolling. She's got to be freaking trolling. Okay. So we've talked about this woman on the show before. I'm not going to say her name. Because if you've listened to our show, you've heard us talk about um, a silly woman who made a lemonade reading list and a silly woman who named Sriracha as the hot sauce in her bag swag, um, a silly woman who told people, uh, particularly Black people, not to self-publish. Um, if you've listened to past episodes, you know this woman's name. I'm not saying her name again. But she felt the need to get a hun uh the summer jam screen of twitter and send out a series of tweets that i'm going to read <laughs> mm -hmm. as much as i could stand um so she says i i don't know i don't full disclosure i don't know what the genesis of this conversation was she just says woke up this morning still thinking about the discussion yesterday on the black science fiction I guess SSF, SFF, I'm guessing it's science fiction, whatever, panel. So I'm going to tweet about it. The idea that Black people and minorities as whole shouldn't attempt to enter established media spaces is an undoing of civil rights. People fought very, very hard to get access to those spaces. Mm -hmm. And to not continue that fight seems dot, 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 silly. There is so much established spaces have to offer. Capital, marketing, tastemaking, to build a new would take decades. Why wouldn't you want a space at the table? Why would you want to have to build your own table? I do think black writers and artists need incubators where they can develop craft and be prepared to fight their way into the mainstream. But if you want people to eat, to be able to sustain themselves from their art, they need to be able to have a space in mainstream media. This coming from a woman who's a co-founder of a black um, science fiction and speculative fiction magazine forthcoming. So if you think that you Why don't you have, have to fight build your Why are you creating this magazine then? Why are you feeling the need? You, uh, she I guess fighting. This is her. <laughs> so, let me tell you what really like just 
Uh, this is I love, can I just say, like, yeah. I love how one of the replies to this thread was from a white lady that was like, plus, the idea of a segregated marketplace assumes the mainstream doesn't also benefit from minority perspectives. WTF, no shit, friend. <laughs> We've been so... trying to get y'all to understand that, and yet... And yet, and still, you and don't yet. fucking understand. But the thing that really pissed me off is that she keeps doubling down on the fact that in order for Black creatives to eat, they must get white acceptance. Because that's what it is. It's not fighting for a space in mainstream media. You are fighting for a white acceptance. Just say, I want white people to consume my shit. Period. It's not about mainstream whatever. It is certainly not about it when you create a fucking magazine that is only about black people. And expect, like, what do you even, what? I think sometimes people just want to be seen. No, I, I, think, <laughs> I think that it's bullshit to say that you cannot create an experience that is solely for us and by us and not eat off of it. There is 40 fucking million people, black people in America. What? 40 million. You can eat yeah. off that easily. What kills me is that is that I just <laughs> she I don't understand her. Um because how can you celebrate something like a lemonade that was a, that was made by a black woman inspired by black women made for black women because there is so little art that's made with us in mind and how can you have that perspective and understand that but don't understand other black people's desire to create their own shit instead of constantly fighting and how can you say how can you make it seem like those people are? To, they're taken away from the civil rights movement? Are you crazy? Like, that's like me saying, I could work for your company, and I'm a, say I'm a, hell, I don't know. Let's, let's, we're dreaming here. Say I'm a computer programmer. Is that still a thing? <laughs> and I just decide that I'm tired of trying to get jobs at these different tech companies, and they're not hiring me, and they're only hiring young white kids, and it's not right, and blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to start my own firm. Did I set the civil rights back, movement back? I mean, is that what I'm doing, or am or am I a fool to keep trying to ask people, to, if I, to trying to break into something that I don't have any control over? I think that's what's bothering me about this. She's placing the own, the responsibility, the onus on black people to keep yes, trying yes, instead yes. of calling out the bullshit. And it's so irresponsible because mm -hmm. she has a large following and a large following who is largely not Negro. And for you to put this onus on us as if we are doing something wrong to not be accepted by the mainstream, as if we are the ones that have the problem here, that is grossly irresponsible. And I think that's what makes me so fucking upset because I'm like, come on, yo. Yeah, what's wrong with y'all that y'all won't keep putting up the good fight? Like, how many damn times I got to turn in a, a manuscript or turn in a, a book or poem, whatever, to a magazine or um, or a publisher? How many rejections? I mean, wouldn't it be faster to put your own shit up and at least get some some coins <laughs> than to keep some feedback, some something? And and uh, I, I just think that she's just grossly irresponsible like you just 
I don't understand. You're, do, it. you're doing the people that you're claiming to fight for a mis uh, a disservice. Like you're throwing them under the bus. Essentially, you're saying, "Well, y'all giving up too easily. Y'all need to keep is fighting." Already, because I'm surprised she didn't invoke MLK. Like, does she already have a deal? Um, I know that she is published by. Uh, oh, I don't know if it's like a big boy, but I know she is traditionally published. I know that she's not a self-published author. Um, but remember when <laughs> we... Uh, well, so much for marketing, Justina. Uh, just whatever. Oh, well, here's the thing. Like, so she's, much for marketing with me. I don't, I've never heard of you until you start thing, posting. Though, right? <laughs> she is traditionally published. She has mm -hmm. two books out. I just pulled up her blog because I think this is very interesting. Um, and I'm going to do a thing that I typically wouldn't do, but I'm just doing this just for the sake of. So she has numbers for the sales of her books on this blog. So she says she has two books no. out. Okay. Sorry, I have a question. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Nope. She got this first one, Vengeance Round. Is this a white lady on the cover? Girl. Okay. Right. Go ahead. Sorry. So she has two books out. Vengeance Bound, Promise of Shadows. Um, the first one sold um, almost 1,100 hardcover, 335 ebook, and um, 511 in trade size paperback. So the smaller paperback. Mm -hmm. Second book sold almost 3,000 hardcover, um, 476 ebook, and just over 1,000 trade paperback. Right, so these books, I should have pulled up when they came out. Uh, mm. Let me see. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm. I'm gonna go to Amazon. I, I'm. I'm just fine. curious to know um, how long I, ago they came out. I am willing to bet that your bitch, my bitch, everybody's bitch did more than three thirty-five ebooks. Okay, so that's why I said I'm about to do a thing that I normally wouldn't do. Okay, but I feel like I need to do it just for. The sake of we gotta, we gotta drive our point home. Yeah. So, hold on one second. I'm sorry. I have the wrong browser open. Um. So her book came out. So the first book came out March 2014. I'm guessing the next one came out about a year after. Anyway. So whatever. I'm not gonna have exact numbers. You got your phone. I can't uh, log into it through my phone. Okay. Um. But nevertheless. Uh. So her ebooks both sold less than 500 copies each. They've been out for years. This post was just published on September 4th. She has a publishing company that has marketing and all of these things at her disposal, but she has no burn. Um, <laughs> well, my fair. book has been out for two months <laughs> and has outsold her books so what i'm saying here and that's with me self-publishing not going crazy on marketing most of it being word of mouth straight numbers like that's just straight sales i'm not even talking about borrows and all that shit i don't even know how to configure how those tie into wholesale or whatever so my point is you have big publishing behind you, Justina. Why your book ain't popping? 
Well, because maybe she's if we fight at the table, maybe they put you at the table, but maybe it's like on the end of the table, on the corner of the table where they know. I don't, I don't, I don't like, know. and I hate to even be like a braggy bitch like that, but like, no, it's not, it's not because here's the thing if you're going to be so bold as to tell people that they are setting back the civil rights movements, y'all, listen to that, you are setting back the civil rights movement by creating your own platform, creating your own space, and promoting yourself. If you're gonna make a statement that bold and say that people need to do more, if you want to fight somebody, if you want to give somebody a if you want to shame somebody, shame your publishers and shame the people you're working with who have not promoted your book well. Shame them. Don't shame people who that's like getting on YouTube and saying, Oh, you couldn't get a you couldn't get a whip, you couldn't get a job on SNL, black girl comedian. Shame on you for creating a creating your own web series. Right. You couldn't get on at the Glamour magazine and the beauty and the beauty magazines. You couldn't get a job at Vogue. Shame on you, vloggers, makeup bloggers, even though they're out here balling out of control right. and having a good ass time. Shame on you for setting back the civil rights movement. If you're going to make that kind of statement, I need to see the receipts. Justine, Justina, Justina, doesn't matter. I need to see the receipts. That's all I'm saying. Show me the she receipts. She tried showing receipts and the receipts didn't work. Like, I'm a debut author, so my numbers is a drop in a bucket compared to some people who have been in the game for years and years and years and has self-published that entire time. So, and not only have they self-published that entire time, they probably have a broader reach than she does. They probably get in the faces of more people than she does. And they probably have a greater fan base than she does. And she likes to chalk it up like on her little blog when she's giving her numbers and she goes, um, the reason why her ebook numbers are so low is because YA aimed at teens. Um, they typically like to read more physical books than electronic books. Maybe that's not true. My 14 and 15, I'm sorry, 15 and 16 year old little cousins are voracious readers and they only read electronically. The only time they have physical books is when they are holding them in their hands for school. So try again, Justina. Like the fact of the matter is, is that you tried to put this up here as if what you were saying was the Holy Grail and that he set back the civil rights movement. I'm sorry, did they march on Washington so that I could be traditionally pubbed by HarperCollins? Is that what the march was about? Right. Girl, uh, just, I just... Like, you're simplifying what was done in the civil rights movement, part one. Part two, you are shifting the blame from the people who hold the power, from the people who have the money, from the people who are in control, to the people who are powerless, moneyless, and are trying to fight for what little autonomy they have in order to make sure that their voices are heard. And you have the goddamn nerve to tell them not to do that like because they should keep trying to dismantle the system. Dismantle these nuts, my nigga. Like, <laughs> fuck up out of here. I don't like, that's not the whole point. You're right, though. The whole point of the civil, I mean, it's just kind of like feminism, right? Where you say, if you're going to do feminism, you got to do it my way or no way. And it's like, no, black women don't have to keep knocking at the door to, to feminism. If y'all want to ignore the things that are unique to us, the issues that are unique to black women, if y'all don't want to partner and be, and to care about the things that we care about, then we will create our own lane. We don't have to be all together. I mean, if they don't, and, and again, I go back to putting the onus on um, 
on black people to dismantle white supremacy. That's bullshit. It's irresponsible. I don't care about it. Come see me if you got a problem with it. Like, I feel like that's fucking stupid. That's like telling little black kids, you shouldn't go to HBO. Oh, well, never mind. People say that shit all the time. <laughs> it's just so silly. And it's a big reason why I have a huge problem with the push for diversity on the book internet. Because never in real life at book events that I've gone to have there been such heated debates about diversity and how publishing is shit about it. The only time that I see these sorts of debates in public if, are when they are dragged off the internet and into a real life like um, conference or something. And it's never the major conferences. It's always like the genre side conferences. Like at BEA, there weren't any major panels about diversity. Now there was a panel um, with, I think, uh, I think it was three black children's book writers, but it wasn't framed as this is the black children's book writers panel. I don't get it. So I don't know. I don't know if the fight is for diversity or if the fight is for a spot to be put on with some people. Some people, it, do, it does not seem like they have a clear idea of what exactly they're fighting for, but they fought or they've talked too much shit to back it up. So now they just got to ride this train until the cows come home, which leads to nonsensical ass posts and tweet screeds. Like our friend has written many times. Uh, she just, and I, I'm like Latifah. I've had it up to here. Like I've, <laughs> I've held my tongue so long and I've said things here and there, but like, she doesn't even, take the time to speak to people who push back and no. it's not saying that you need to capitulate or she doesn't need to genuflect to people who are expressing you know different opinions but she doesn't even respond to say i hear what you're saying even though i don't dis- even though i don't agree so that goes back to my original statement she's got to be trolling got to be trolling got to be trolling for clicks lord knows we've given her however many thousands hundreds <laughs> she, she's got to be trolling for clicks there's no way and i'm like nobody is co-signing this shit but other people who right outside of their lane and <laughs> people who benefit and who have profited off of diversity can we talk about that can we talk about the people who all of a sudden you know <laughs> a couple years ago a handful of years ago you wasn't writing about diverse nothing. You weren't showing us different perspectives and religions and all of these things. You was writing what you write. Now, all of a sudden, the diversity train is huge, and there's all these conversations about diversity and like um and all of these uh, speaking platforms about diversity and essays and things about how to write diversely and blah, blah, blah. And now everybody's making change, and I don't think I like it because I feel like it's disingenuous. I feel like the new, it's, it's a buzzword. It's a yep. thing. If I include some black folk or if I write about a black girl, look at all the 
black women who will go out and support me. And I'm just going to say, sister friends, sisters and friends, (laughs) it breaks my heart to see black women go after non-black writers, especially non-black women writers, and go up for their work and promote their work and go crazy for their work. But there are black women out here that are hustling and doing the damn thing. And if you check their social media engagement, it is nowhere close to what these other people are getting. And it's not cool. Like, that's not what we're about here. And, and, and we, and I mean that, like, I know we already talked about your book and don't be mad at me because I know you don't like this kind of thing, but (laughs) when you write a book and you're a black woman author, you wrote a great black love story. It was, um, but I don't want to just, I mean, it was a black love story, and I know it was for black women, but anybody in the world could pick up that book and enjoy it and, and get something out of the story. So, like, a prime example of that, not to cut you off, no, go ahead. but a prime example of that is that in, it recently got reviewed on a romance book blog um, read by somebody who is probably as far from black as possible. This woman you know, she wrote a great review and she said, you know, oh, there were a couple things that I was kind of touchy about, you know, the use of the N-word, blah, blah, blah. She was like, but that doesn't detract from the story, right? Mm-hmm. So my my thing is, is a good story is a good story, no matter what the people who inhabit the story look like. Right. And I think that when we're talking about diversity and when we're talking about diversifying the book world and, you know, creating a more homogenous world that looks like the world in which we live, then we need to just start promoting good art. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean promoting stuff that stars diverse characters just because it stars diverse characters. Right. Like don't get gassed because there's a black girl on the cover of a book. Really look at the work and really look at what the, um, what the writer is doing, what the writer is saying, what the work is saying, if it's something important. I mean, you got to look at all of those things. And also, I just, you know, to keep, I always feel like we hold ourselves at such a higher standard than we hold other writers. Like, if you see something self-published across your timeline or your Facebook feed or whatever, I know a lot of people are likely to be like, mm, mm, nope. Yeah, uh, but they will give something else a chance just because it's either published by mainstream or that the author is not black. And I think that's messed up. I think we have to do a better job of the same way that we are starting to do with movies and we're starting to do with TV. I think people have to start giving black books a chance because I've read some shitty shitty, shitty books written by white women who have long book deals. I'm talking about eight and nine books in hardcover and four of them five of them are horrendous and they just keep getting purchased and they keep getting popular and they keep Mm -hmm. getting rich. And it's not because they're doing something better than somebody else, but somebody else doesn't get that opportunity to come to the table with no MFA, with no um, school, you know, name on their, in their bio and get a deal for hardcover releases from a, from a major publishing company. They have to publish themselves. That does not mean that their books are any worse or better. I know we all get a, a, a key out of some of the crazy book titles. I know we get a little uh, LOL by some of the more ridiculous content that we think is ridiculous. I mean, people love it though. And and that's okay. That's okay. But don't discount the stuff that you know. Say, hey, wait a minute. Would I read this if it was a white person? If I would I read this if it was a mainstream? If I went to Barnes and Noble and saw this book on the shelf, would I give it a chance? 
think of it in that terms and not that, oh, these people had made it. Because a lot of times they made it, I mean, they published it themselves because they had to, not because they wanted to. And, and I don't know. I just think Or in some cases, it's because they wanted to, because they didn't want their writing to be watered down yeah. into something more palatable for quote-unquote mainstream audiences. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think that the 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 problem, and you hit the nail on the head, and you said it. It's the stigma mm-hmm. of self publishing. For some right. reason, instead of it seeing being seen as bootstrappy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's seen as oh, you didn't have any other avenue. And like, I don't know, yo. Like, I've read some of the greatest writing probably in the past like year to 18 months by people who are not traditionally published. Yeah, you got to give it a chance. You got to give each other a chance. Because they don't have constraints on them. And people can go there in their writing, you know? Yeah, And this whole idea that you shouldn't make your own lane is so ridiculous. It's kind of like, I mean, I always tie things back to what we do. You know, it's kind of like with us. We are not on a major podcast network. We are not part of any uh, big uh, radio station or television station or uh, any other media conglomerate. And people I know don't listen to our show for various reasons. But some of the things people say about you know stuff like shows like ours, and not just us, but other shows that are small and kind of homegrown, is that, oh, it's the sound quality. Or they do this too much. Or I don't like it. And it's very, very picky and specific. I'm like, everybody's like, if you're not Ira Glass, then you just get the F out of here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it's interesting because I listen to um, another, it's a white, their mainstream uh, podcast. It's one of the top podcasts in the country. And it's been for a while. And it's two white girls. And when you say rambling, honey, sister friend, they will go a full 15, 20 minutes before they ever get to what they're talking about. And they're all over the place. And their sound quality used to be like, they used to record on their backs in somebody's living room with just oh, wow. chilling, having a drink, shit blowing up in the back like they were having fun. Did not stop a thing because people were able to look past that and they're popular. But how many times do, and I'm sure other people who podcast can get this, how many times do people who are not with a network or recording in the studio or you know doing their own thing get judged in a different way than those who do? It's just it's crazy and this and I I it's I go back to what Ava uh, DuVernay said about I don't really care too much about diversity I want inclusion I want a opportunity a chance to not be included at your table to make to color up your table I want to be able to be included in the process of putting it art out and putting it out in the way that I want to do it um, and I think that's really really important but I I have a strong I can't say what I want to say, but I'm about sick of this this lady and her her twisted and warped views because I think it's so, like you said, so irresponsible. If you are out there and you working and you grinding on something, please don't waste your years <laughs> sending shit to Random House. <laughs> please don't. That's the thing. Like, I, time. It's just Put so... Put it out there. Like, why would you do that to people? Why do you're essentially killing people's dreams? Because you're telling, because you're telling them that you, your work means nothing, your art means nothing, unless you're traditionally pubbed. Yeah. And with that, you can get the fuck up out of here. You can. I think it's messed up. It's messed up. Here, let me shit on your. Put the listen. Whatever you're doing, I don't care if you doing etch a sketch pictures. Put the shit out there. Put it out there and let people consume it, and they will decide whether or not they want to buy it 
whether or not that's, that's the marketing. thing like there is a consumer for every piece of art there is out there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i mean i know people we know people who are self-published that can, oh, it ain't our place to give her receipts but <laughs> um justina ma'am false 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 <laughs> yep you know, and I mean, it's not just one person, really. It's a lot of people out there that put out their own work via via blog or their own lit magazines or their own whatever, and they are doing the work because you can't spend your life or waste your time begging somebody else to acknowledge your greatness. Waiting you on can't somebody do else. You like, can't what? do it. But there you go. That's our show. Yeah. Oh, that's my rant. We don't have another topic. I'm sorry if you came here for that, but we don't. No. Um, no. All right. So, you know what I would like people to do? Because I feel like we just kind of wing it with the books that we've been covering. <laughs> I would like for folk to send us via Twitter, email, whatever, Facebook, tell us uh, a book that you have read recently. No, just recommend some books that you want us to talk about because some of y'all, I don't want to read that. But (laughs) (laughs) if there's a book that you've read or that you're interested in that you would like for us to talk about, we would appreciate if y'all give us some suggestions because we really, excuse me, we really just pick what we want to read (laughs) and say, yeah. but we're listening to what y'all have to say. So let's try that. See what responses. Yeah, we like feedback. And don't send us no nonsense, because I'll tell you, right? Wherever you send it to us, you will get a reply, please. (laughs) Please. So are you saying you don't want to read the last book I just read, which is amazing? What is it? Wait, I mean, I don't want to read no shit like Lena Dunham's autobiography. I don't want to read that. Uh, (laughs) Like, don't be funny. (laughs) <laughs> when in the hell would I be reading Lena You know how people get. You know how pe- you know some of the emails we get. Like, excuse me, have you listened to our show? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we'd like yeah. to hear your your suggestions. The well, this isn't the last book I read, but okay. we can go right into what you're reading because I am reading a lot in the past day. For once, I am excited about this segment. All right. So, <laughs> what are you reading? Uh huh. Last night. Oh, girl. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just caught on. Shit. I read a book that changed my life for the better. It was called Pumpkin Spice Latifa by one Miss Ashley Bradley. And it is 23 pages of magic. The description is as follows. A black chick wakes up from a 12-year coma thinking she's a 34-year-old white woman named Rebecca. It's autumn and beautiful out. Sweater weather? Sweater weather. I don't have to do this. It was amazing. It is in your contract. Ashley Bradley is a visionary. She is comedically genius. Is the, are the books are the books comedy or is something wrong with her? <laughs> I think it's comedy. I think that Why it is a bizarro ass brand of comedy. So I'm Why gonna read some of her some other, of titles. other titles. Yes, please, please do, and then y'all let me know. <laughs> do y'all think that she's being funny, or y'all think Jeanette wrong for making fun of this lady? <laughs> I'm not I'm making listening. fun because 
I have been genuinely entertained. No, I have been genuinely entertained. Like pumpkin spice Latifa. I'm sorry, Latifa. The listeners are listening. Let's hear these titles. All right. So, uh, Depressed Black Bitch, which I read today. Um, Single Never Married. Birds. Birds 2, Turn Up at Auntie's. Fat Black Virgin Juarez. Wash your hands after taking a shit. Ma'am, 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 enough. <laughs> enough. I got one more. Oh my God. Hanging with Bradley Cooper. Ma'am. No. <laughs> I hate y'all. I hate y'all for bringing this nonsense into my life. No, I promise you, if you have Kindle Unlimited, just read Pumpkin Spice Latifa or Latefa because it's spelled like Pumpkin Spice Latte and then fuck is the main character. Her name is Latefa. Listen to me. Listen. Hang it with, hang it with Bradley Cooper through me. <laughs> I'm going to read that. I read, um, I read Depressed Black Bitch today. That one wasn't as good as Pumpkin Spice Latefa. I hate y'all. Um, and I also oh, read the, the one about I read the one about washing your hands after taking a shit. That wasn't as good either. Listen, readers, I mean listeners, please go check these books out. They're free on Kindle if you have Kindle Unlimited. And then y'all yes. let me know if Jeanette is making fun of it. <laughs> I am thoroughly entertained. I'm telling you, I think this woman is a comedic genius. Oh, and when you go is- on Amazon, look at her Amazon picture. Maybe she is a comedian. This is what I'm saying. And also, not for nothing, they are actually pretty well constructed. Like the sentences, the the syntax, all that shit is on point. Grammar is on point. It gets a little meandering and stream of consciousness at points. You got to pull it back. But I've been entertained. Like I was at work on my break today crying, laughing at my desk. Reading Ashley Bradley books, it's every day. and the books are they're mad short. I read three of them in a day because they like thirty two pages each. I can't believe you're serious with this. Oh, All right, man. what let, are you reading, friend? Let me, let me class up the joint. I am reading <laughs> Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. <laughs> oh wow, you did class up the joint. Wow. Um, Way to one up me. I mean. 100 up you. (laughs) (laughs) If you have never heard of this, uh, the book is set in 1950s Paris. Um, There are... um, Let me see. After preparing... After meeting and proposing to a young woman, he falls into a lengthy affair with an Italian bartender and is confounded and tortured by his sexual identity as he oscillates between the two. Examining the mystery of love and passion in an intensely imagined narrative, Baldwin creates a moving and complex story of death and desire that is revelatory in its insight. I have never read this book. I thought I did. I had to read a James Baldwin book for school, um, and I don't remember which one it was. I think I know, but I just remember, like, it started off, um, maybe it's Go Tell It on the Mountain, I think is what I had to read. I don't know. Anyway, it was something about a rat. There was a big rat in it that came out of the wall. Y'all don't know. You Baldwinites will know exactly which one I'm talking about. Um, I took a lot of literature. It all runs together sometimes. But um, I decided that I wanted to read some James Baldwin after um, I we read The Fire next time. This time. 
next time. Um, and so I'm reading that. I am also listening to a book on audiobook, which a lot of people know. Um, the, oh, hell, The New Jim Crow. Um, what's Michelle, it called? Uh, Michelle, Michelle Alexander. Alexander. Yeah. I started, I had this, I actually downloaded it a zillion years ago. Well, not a zillion years ago, but a long time ago, and I never really listened to it because I just kept thinking of other things I'd rather listen to. And then I started doing it. I started listening to it. And then a couple days later, that trailer for the new Ava DuVernay um, documentary about mass incarceration. The 13th year. Today, it looks lit, lit. Yes. Like, yes. Miss Ava, can I just carry around your notebook? Is that a job? <laughs> can I you just... understand that I would be a parasol holder for her? Yes. Like, girl, you don't even got to pay me. I would just make sure that, you know... When you need it, I got that Parasol for you, dog. Let me just stand next to you and absorb some of the greatness. <laughs> but I am looking forward to that, especially after I finish um, with this book. So I am reading two very classy black-ass books to counteract whatever non whatever black nonsense you've put on this here podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But thank y'all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Holla. I got to go work out, so I'll catch y'all later. <laughs> In two weeks. Bye. <laughs> Bye.